The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we're thankful for this moment to be able to sit and hear your word and think about it. And we, we come here not wanting to just gather some more information, but we want to sit here under your word, think about it, and be changed. So thank you for that chance, but then that leads us into asking, Lord, will you change us? Will you let us hear this and be different because we hear it? There's a lot of complexity in this passage, Lord. Will you make it clear? And by your Spirit, will you move in us and and draw us, first draw us from the hundred places where our minds may be scattered to right now. Mine feels a little scattered. Others may feel scattered. Will Will you draw us from those places to which we have been scattered and draw us back here to sit under your word and hear it? And then, Spirit of God, will you press it into us for renewing? Help all the complexity to be clear enough. Help the main points to, to, to sound in a way that is heard and then in a way that, that affects change. That's within your power, Lord, so please do it. We can just speak and sit and listen. You can change, so please do that. Have your way with us for our good and For the honor of Christ, will you build your church and will you help us to understand what privileges you've given us in this new life you've brought us to? Flesh that out a little bit for us this morning, Lord, in in this part of Romans. So understand it and grow and bear fruit for you that brings you great honor and brings us great good. That's what I ask for you to do that this morning in us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Make your word clear. Own this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Chances are that most people you know, in most situations they encounter, most often want to do the right thing. That's, that's most people. They want, they want to be and they want to be known as good. I'm talking about everybody always, but most people. And of course, we would have to have some, some discussion about what is good, what is the right thing, surely. But what I'm saying is that given the common grace of God that rests over all the world and given how it is that he made us as image bearers, most people, most of the time, have some general draw in them towards good, towards justice, towards kindness, towards love and some general distaste for some some repulsion away from meanness and injustice and deceit and harm and cruelty and the like. Now, yes, we would have to have a discussion about what is good and, and all those words, what they mean, yes. But most people want, if you ask them, do you want to do what's right? They'd say yes. And that's true for most people and particularly true for Christians. 
for, for we who are, are the people of God. If you're a Christian, you have more than just the way you've been made in his image and, and the, these things in you that kind of are, are attracted to that and the common grace of God the rest of the world. You have more than that. You have a, a deeper, unique, special experience of God. So you, you know him personally, not just know about him, you know him personally. You've experienced something from him. You have, you have relationship with him. And so you have some, some better and different and deeper idea about what good is and about what right is. And you've experienced God's goodness and God's great, deep, loving kindness towards you in saving grace. And so you, you have an affection for him and you really want to please him. If you're a Christian, one of the desires kind of knitted into your heart is, is I want to please God. I want to live in a way that honors him, that, that extols him, that lifts him up. I really want to be like that. Not that Christians don't sin, not that Christians don't have sinful desires, but that's, that's kind of in our new DNA, that, that we have some new, fresh idea of who God is and of what good is, and we want to please him and want to be blessings in those ways to others all around us. And if you're a parent, for instance, you want to raise kids. We want to raise kids to know what is and to do right. And if, and if you have any contact in a church with other Christians and you have some sort of, of ministry opportunity, you want to help other Christians then to know what is right and, and to walk into it and to live in ways that please God. So the world in general has some desire for this and Christians in particular. We want to live in a way that honors and pleases the one that we love. So how do we do that? How do we go about doing that? How do we tell others to go about doing that? If you're a parent or somebody ministering in the congregation, how do we do that? That's what we're going to look at here in the first part of Romans chapter 7. We're continuing to, to discuss the resurrection life, this, this short series here that will conclude next week, Romans chapter 8. But we started this short series right after Resurrection Sunday, right after Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that as we've been looking through 1 Corinthians and now here in, in Romans in a few places, we've noticed this resurrection of Jesus means a whole lot. It means many things. It has, it has much implication for life, and in particular it means new life for the people of God, for those of us who trust him alone. And last week we looked at some of the details about how that is in Romans chapter 6. We took a great big bite and looked at the whole chapter and in Romans 6, we get some opportunity there to think about what it is to be united with Christ. We see language about united with him, and that's all over the New Testament, in him, in Christ. That language is, is frequent. One way we thought about it, not an exact way, but one way is to think about like air inside of a balloon. Wherever the balloon goes, the air inside the balloon goes too. Whatever affects the balloon affects the air inside the balloon. Talked about this last week. And in Christ, raised with him, we have been raised, as chapter 6, verse 4 said, to walk in newness of life. Which we might read and say, yes, that's exactly what I want. I want to walk in newness of life. Or later, I want to live to God. And I want to live in a way that pleases him and honors him. That, that does right. So, how? How do I do that? 
That's what brings us to Romans 7, just the first half of Romans 7. Paul's going to give us some, some guidance about how to do that and, and really, in fact, how not to do that. So we're going to look at Romans 7, verses 1 to 12, and draw out two observations from it that, that should be helpful to us as we think this through, should be helpful to us as we seek to walk in newness of life, to live out this new resurrection life that we've been given in a way that blesses us and honors God. We're going to make two observations from Romans 7. Here's the first. The resurrection life is a life free from the binding authority of the law. So we're united with Christ. We have this new life, this new resurrection life, and that life is a life free from the binding authority of the law. This is the case. Paul actually already said it twice in passing back in Romans chapter 6. And now in chapter 7, he tells us more of how that came to be, particularly as he unpacks this analogy with marriage in the first three verses. He pulls out marriage here, and as we, as we glance at this, it's, it's important that we realize Paul's pulling out an analogy from the law to explain something about the law. He's not speaking directly about marriage. So we, we should note that, and we should note he's not talking about this is the only way that a marriage can be broken. So he's not speaking directly about things like, say, divorce. We keep that in mind. Paul's talking about the law here, using an illustration. Talking about the law that God gave to us through Moses way back. That's what he's speaking about directly. And he's using an illustration that everybody would understand. Law only applies until death. He says it twice, and he says in each of the first three verses, he uses the word binding and the word bound, and then the opposite of that, after death, free. Law binds until death. And a person is released from that law bondage by death, free from it. That's built into how the law works. He uses illustration of marriage. where Everybody says, sure, of course, yeah, I'm not married to that person after the person's dead. Right, the law ended after the death, right. And then here's the point, verse 4. A death has happened for you. Death has come. You, Christian, died to the law through the body of Christ. So united with Christ, like we talked about last week, when, when we're inside of him, his death is our death, his burial is our burial, his resurrection is our resurrection, his walking into new life is, is our walking into new life. In Christ, you died. You died to the law. And so in his death, the, all the binding cords of the law of Moses that were around us have been snipped off and we're free from that now, free to belong to another. Him who was raised from the dead. This happened already, happened for you, Christian, done for you by God when he put you in Christ. You've died to the binding authority of the law of Moses, which means what? What does that mean? It means you're not under it anymore, in this sense, with life governed in that way. No longer required, not supposed to live, as if that old written code, the language of verse 6, is the governing model over you. 
Now, at this point, I might encourage you, if you're taking notes, off in the margin, write, write this. Or if you're not taking notes, kind of in the margin of your mind, if you're listening along, write this. Because this is going to be the issue, the question of application going through the whole sermon. So I'm writing it right here in the margin. Do I still act like it is? That, that's, that's the margin question. I'm no longer supposed to live. It is not the case that I am bound to this law. Do I still act like it is? Do I still live like it is? Do I still think like it is? Am I still trying to please God, trying to be that good person? The one who does the right thing while beneath, as if beneath, this governing system of the law. That's, that's the question that's going to carry throughout the whole thing. So jot something like that down to trigger your own mind. By governing system, what I mean is a, a way that rule is expressed and then enforced. So, in the world, think of, you get governing systems like parliamentary systems, dictatorships, tribal chieftains, representative federal democracies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And assuming there are, there are automobiles and roads, every one of them has a speed limit. But how they came to that speed limit, how they express it, and how they enforce it differs from governing system to governing system. A way that law, that rule is expressed taught and learned, and then enforced, so that life there in that system can prosper, and, and the authority, in our case, God, can be honored. Now, I, I understand this is, this is highly complicated material. And when you start talking about the law, the New Testament, the Old Testament, Christians, and the Mosaic law, you've got, I mean, there's deep water right there. It's kind of like, you know, some of our, our reservoir lakes up here. You're on the shore, and right there is 30 feet deep because of, because of it's a canyon with, with water in it. So right there, we've got a whole series of books that I'm not going to get into. If I understood it all, I'm not going to get into it all. I'm trying to keep something here and kind of within some bounds and make something simple what this old governance system is, because what we're trying to look at is what we're not supposed to be like, because we aren't. This, this isn't the case anymore, so the question here is, but do I still act like it? Do I still think like it? So we've got to think a little bit of, what was that like? So to keep it simple, let me try to express here how this old governance system, this old law, worked. It says to its subjects, the people governed by it, it says, here, here it is, it says, here is a written description of what the right and pure life looks like. Here, here's what it does, here's what that right and pure life does. 
what it doesn't do. Here's how it speaks. Here's how it treats others. Here's how it thinks. Here's how it feels. Here's how it worships. Here's how it prays. Here's how it sacrifices, how it eats, how it sleeps, how it is. The right and pure, good and God-pleasing life. Here it is. Written right there. So, do you want to please God? Do you want to do what is right? To be good. To flourish in life. And, and build a community that flourishes in life. Do you? Then, do this. Be this. And if you do, there will be great benefit to it for you. Life will flourish. There will be blessing. And if you don't, there will be consequences. Pain. But you want to please God. Here, here it is. And so, so look at this carefully. Read this and do it. Now, there's page one. Indeed, if you flip it over, on the back, there is very certainly, very certainly forgiveness available. So don't misunderstand. This old system did not say, do this to be saved. Do this to be forgiven. It, it, salvation all throughout the scriptures has always been by faith in the sacrifice provided. And page two on the back has a whole list of sacrifices, right? When you sin, offer this sacrifice on these days, in these ways, these certain animals of this certain age, etc., etc. Here's what the righteous and good sacrificer looks like. Does this, offers this at this time, in this way, at these seasons. Do that. So it, this is not do works to be forgiven. Don't misunderstand that. You can be forgiven. That's, that's on the back. And there's a never-ending sacrificial system about that. But so as to avoid sin in the first place, so as to live a life that's pleasing and right. You, did you get that? What, what the front side, what page one, how that works. What is your attention on? If, as you're concerned, what do, I, what do I look at? What am I shaped by? What am I mentally and, and even physically, what am I concerned with? What's my focus on? I'll say it again. Here is the written model, the sketch of what the right and good and pure life looks like. What it does and what it doesn't do, how it speaks and how it treats others and how it thinks and how it feels and how it worships and prays and sacrifices and eats and sleeps, how it is. You, you person under this system, do you want to do what's right? Do you want to please God? Do you want to bless yourself and your community? Do this. That's how the old governance system works. And the focus is on the piece of paper I slid across the table to you. That's what the focus is on. The rules, the commandments, the guidelines. That's what's right and pleasing to God. That's how the old system worked. And even 
in the Old Testament, when Old Testament people, when they realized, as many did, you can read about this in the Old, you can read people saying this, you can read the Psalms and you can notice this, even when they realized what God really wants is our hearts. He doesn't want me, God doesn't want me just following the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. He doesn't doesn't want me to just rotely do this and that and the other and have a heart far from him. He doesn't want that. Right, he doesn't. But even when they realized that, they could not throw this away. Nobody in the Old Testament, nobody under that governance system can say, God really wants our hearts, so I'm just going to skip all the sacrifices. I'm going to just throw out all those dietary laws. I'm going to skip everything that's about being unclean. I'm going to throw out the whole book of Leviticus because God really wants our hearts. No. Can't do that. Do this with the right heart, but do this. That's how the old system works. And that's a great burden. I don't remember the exact number, but somebody counted up. There are 600 and some different commands in the Old Testament, but it's not really just 600 and some different commands. It's, it's the whole system of, I can't eat this, and I can't go, go there, and I can't touch this, and, and many things that you even just automatically do in the course of life. You go to the bathroom, and you're unclean. There's something that hangs over even the person who realizes God really wants our hearts. But here's this. I have to do that. There's a great burden in that. And worse, it didn't actually help a person become more holy. That's the problem that comes up in verses 7 to 12 in our, in our Romans passage. We might think that a system of governance that is very careful and very exact and draws our attention to numerous, countless details about the requirements of God, what he wants and what pleases him, we might think that that would certainly produce righteousness. Sometimes it's even how, how we think. Question, that's still how you think. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I just want to know what God wants me to do, what, what his requirement is in this situation, that, what exactly, how much exactly am I supposed to give, where exactly am I supposed to go, what exactly, please just tell me what to do, and I will do it. We might think that would be exactly what would be needed to build in us righteous and holy lives. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. But actually, that's the problem. You won't. You don't. exactly what Paul's saying here. Verses 7 to 12. This, verse 12, is good and right and holy. The problem is he slides it across the table and it bumps into me. You. Us. Using some of Paul's language, people in Adam or people still in bondage to sin or people in the flesh, another way that Paul would describe the same, the same thing. It bumps into us, and, and while it's actually spelling out and clarifying what is good and right, the, the problem is that 
that there's something in me, my heart is resistant to that. So when it comes across the table, something in me says, no. Mm -mm, I don't think so. Our hearts within us, in, in some way, for some reason, the Bible's answer is that it's because of our fallen nature. Our, our, this is what the flesh is. There's something in us that is bent against God, and that explains a whole lot about human failing in life. We often think, we, I want to do what's right, I want to be a good person, and we often think that we, that we are until along comes us and we surprise ourselves. That's not me. I didn't mean it. How did I do Where did that come from? That's not me. Actually, it is. That is you poking through. We resist God's expressed commands, what he's written down for us, what's good and right and holy. We, we resist even what we, what we know, inherently know is right. We get angry when other people act unjustly, and then we act unjustly. Because it benefits us. We're resistant to God's law. That's, that's, that's a problem within. You see it in kids they haven't yet learned how to refine this. You, you, we've all seen the little kid who, you tell him, don't touch that, and he looks at that, looks at you, looks at that, looks at you. <laughs> well, he reaches out to grab the, the now forbidden fruit. Something He doesn't even understand. She doesn't even understand what, what's going on there, but there's something in there that says, I'm not supposed to touch that. Now I kind of want to. That's exactly what he's getting at. There's something in us that resists, that resists, that doesn't want because I want to myself, says the child, says the human. And being under that system of governance that works like this, it's, it's a burden and, and it inevitably fails. It fails to bring about what we really want. It fails to help us become the kind of people who live pleasing to God. If we're still bound to that law, if we're still under this old system, we're going to live incredibly burdened and frustrated and we're not going to get to what we want. Holy and righteous pleasing to God and blessings to others. Is this your experience? Question off the side. Is this your experience? Do you know the experience of, man, I'm not, I'm not actually, I, I see the list and I'm getting kind of burdened by the list and I don't feel like I'm really like changing. Paul's point here in the first observation is that we have been set free from this old system of governance. Christ alone lived under that old system of governance and perfectly kept it and died under its penalty anyway. So we, in him, dying with him, are cleared from that are legitimately cleared from it. That system does not apply anymore if you're a Christian. You are not 
under that. You are not to be governed by it. No longer bound to its authority. The question, do we still live like that? Do we still pursue right living as if that's our governor? God is another way, and that leads us to the second observation. This one is a little bit in chapter 7, it's a little bit in chapter 6, and I'm going to resist, but it's a little bit of a foretaste of next week's sermon from Romans chapter 8 about the Spirit. I'm not going to go there, but if you're wondering, why doesn't he talk about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to next week. I'm going to resist that. So what I'm talking about is now the, the opposite, and here's the second observation. Resurrection life is a life now governed by grace. That enables us to bear fruit for God. Resurrection life is a life now governed by grace that enables us to bear fruit for God. And I'm actually reaching back into Romans 6 to get the language. Verses 14 and 15 there, Paul twice says that we are not under law, opposite, but under grace. So we've switched governing systems. The old, the old one, the, the written code, the, the law, didn't actually eliminate, it actually stimulated sin in us, aroused it in us. But we died to that old system, died to the bondage of sin, and we rose with Christ into a new system, and we are now under grace, which does not mean do whatever you like, there's no requirements. That's, that's not what it means to... To not be, some people think that, and it sounds, you can hear it in the language, it makes some sense intellectually. If I'm not under the law, that means that the law doesn't apply. I'm under grace. I just, you know, do whatever I want. No. It's the governing system. It's, it's how we get to become people pleasing to God. How we get to become people who do what is right. We still have a requirement on us. It's just we come to it. We get at it a different way under a different governor. Move from one to the other. That's, that's quite obvious when you read the whole New Testament, which, which is full of God telling us to do things. God still commands. We just stand before those requirements differently. And again, still, this, is, this obviously is complicated. but I'm trying to make some things simple here. Our focus is on the resurrection life and how, it's, how it is that we are meant to live now, raised with Christ, how we are meant to live new lives that please him, bless us and others around us. And it's under grace, not under law. Verse 4 says, this actually enables us to bear fruit Read the whole verse. You've died to the law through the body of Christ, so you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. In order that. Purpose here. Who, who, put, who put you in Christ? God did. Who killed you and raised you with Christ? God did. For what purpose? That you may bear fruit for God. Here's how. This way actually accomplishes that. And so you, we should pause right there and say, 
That, that's, that's what I want. And God has done something expressly to enable me to be that. I want to bear fruit. I, I want to be a fruitful person. I want to live a life that's fruitful, that's to him. I want to live to him. I want to walk in newness of life. And here, right, you've told me that you freed me. You specifically freed me so that I could walk this way and I could bear fruit for you. Thank you. This is a kind God. Sometimes we think that what God has done in, in this, this religion that he's given us is that he's just kind of made us a bunch of slaves of his. And that word is in the New Testament, so it can be misleading. If we flip that over and say what God has actually done is that God has freed us from slavery. Slavery to sin, in this case, slavery to the law. He's freed us from slavery so that we can live, we can live fruitfully. That's the kindness of God. It's a good God that we have. That we can live to him. We can be a people of life within us and then flowing out of us onto those all around us. God did this. So how does grace do that? How does this governing system work? The old one works like this. Here's the written description. See it and do it. How does the new one work? so that we can actually walk in newness of life and bear fruit. Let's use an example. And take the sixth commandment, which I pick specifically because, obviously, it's in the law of Moses. It's in the Ten Commandments. Sixth commandment, you shall not murder. So there it is. What does it mean? Don't murder. But if we were to read that closely, if, if we were to look at this pushed across the table to us, and we look at that closely, we'd say, yeah, but it means more than just don't murder people. Because we'd notice that the law then expands that, and it gets much bigger. It gets all kinds of other related laws that kind of, if you're looking at like a flowchart, that are kind of beneath that one. Things related to don't take life in other ways, and don't maim people, and don't kidnap people, don't attack people. All kinds of other things related to taking of life. And then we could flip it around and say there are also other laws about the opposite, the giving of life, blessing life, being generous, being helpful. So then we'd say, okay, there's the, not just the sixth commandment, but, but the whole tree beneath it. There it all is. There. Do that. This is what would be blessing for you, will be pleasing to God. Okay. Then we come to the New Testament and we see Jesus teach on this. And then it goes even wider. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, if you curse your brother, you mock your sister, you're murdering them, slandering them, you're guilty of the same thing. And murder just went that wide killing in your heart the commandment becomes much bigger and then we see my word we're all murderers so there we're in the new testament with jesus here's the thing that's still this 
That's just Jesus writing on the bottom, adding on, and he has the authority to do that. It's Jesus clarifying. You know, when it said that, what it actually meant was slander too. So here's the question then. You don't want to be a murderer, not a literal one, of course, nor a figurative one, figurative one, like Jesus explained. In fact, you want to be a blessing. You, you want to be a person who, who honors God and who gives life to people around you. Not just one who doesn't take it, but one who actually gives it and feeds people. You want to do what's right. You want to be good in the eyes of God. In, in, in that sense, you want to please him and do good to the world. That would be a blessing to you, and it would build a community that's, that's positive and, and flourishes. So, so what do you do? Do you, here's the question right on the side, do you take Christian, do you take the biblical sketches of what murder and slander and insult and life-taking looks like, and then the biblical sketches of what life-giving and helping and blessing looks like, do you take them and do them? Dedicate yourself, rededicate yourself to carefully, conscientiously, religiously do what is required. Now, you, I'm asking this in a way that you might not know. Am I supposed to say yes to that or no? I don't know, because Steve also talks about obedience a lot, and maybe, that, maybe the answer is supposed to be yes. That's why I'm asking like this, make you think. Do you take the biblical sketches of what is murder, what's negatively taking of life, and what is positively blessing, giving of life, and religiously, conscientiously, carefully devote yourself, maybe re-devote yourself to doing them. Do you? Question the margin. Is that how you, is that how you still live? I'm starting to tip my hand here. Are you still functionally attempting to do the right thing, to be a good person in God's eyes by that system? Or, well, let me let you off the hook. That's the old system. That's the old system. And what will result from that is burden and failure. Think of the burden. This week I'm talking about the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And I elaborated on what murder is and what the opposite of blessing is. Religiously focus on carefully doing that. You know, next week's going to be about, and thou shalt not steal. And thou shalt not commit adultery. And thou shalt not bear false witness. How many lists are you going to have by the end of the month? How many pages am I going to have to be holding up here by the end of the month? Right? Right? Think, think about that. Right? What, what's the, what, where does the burden end? Especially when you start, Jesus, my goodness, especially when you start expanding it, that it's not just about don't actually take somebody's physical life. It's about don't slander them. Oh, my goodness. Where does the burden end? 
If that's how you're working, burden and failure is coming. It is incredible religiosity and incredible frustration and incredible failure. That system cannot produce the God-honoring, holy, world-blessing living that you actually want. Only grace can do that, and grace will do that. So what you're saying, Steve, is never mind what's required. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to actually say, here's how you fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. By grace. Grace can, the grace governing system works differently. We still need the sheet. We still need the sheet. There it is. Here's the sheet in front of us in the, the new system. There's what's required. But our job then, what do you do instead of taking the list, the, the sheet of, of all the sketched out requirements of thou shalt and thou shalt not? Instead of taking that list and conscientiously, religiously focusing on doing it, what do you do? What's your attention on here? The sheet. Under the new governing system, what's your attention on? Jesus. Here's how that works. I take the sheet. It's given to me. Jesus himself gave that to me. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself blew the whole thing up by expanding it. And I see the list of Jesus' notations on the bottom, and I say, oh, my goodness. Do you remember a time in your life, I remember a time in my life, where I thought I finally got the Ten Commandments under control. <laughs> Do you remember a time in your life? Honest to goodness. I remember a time, I became a Christian in college. I remember a time in my life when I thought, I am not breaking any of the Ten Commandments anymore. This is so good. And then somebody explained some things to me. I thought, oh my goodness. Dang. <laughs> you see that and you say, oh, my word. I'm a murderer. I am a murderer. And keep on going, a liar and an adulterer and a thief. Yep. And then you keep looking, not the list, but at Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, I know you are. That's why I'm hanging here. In your place condemned I stand. Here is the righteous requirement of the law. Here's the condemnation that follows onto your behavior before the law. And here is the payment for it all. All. In your place, condemned, I go to the cross and I stand there. And something in us says, hallelujah, what a savior. We look to Jesus, not in the absence of, but over top of the list. This tells us what's required and shows me my failure. And then Jesus steps in and says, and I take it all. And we are a people so made that 
we are drawn by love and kindness. And we see a Jesus like that in the face of a law like that. We see a Jesus like that, and it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not his command, his kindness that leads us to repentance. I think Romans says that, doesn't it? It is his kindness that leads us to repentance, to a turning away from and a turning to We are people drawn by kindness and a people drawn by love. And basking in his love, his loving kindness towards me, a person like me, to see a God, a God so humble that he would come and take on the form of a body to save me. That he would transform me, that he would free me from slavery to make me a full, honest-to-goodness human made in the image of God to see him like that, to behold the power and the wisdom with which he has done that, beholding that kind of glory. Think of 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and chapters 4. I'm changed. Think of later in Romans chapter 12. How are we transformed? Romans 12 too tells us, by the renewing of our minds, that's what transforms us. Something changes in here before it changes out here. And I'm changed in here, 2 Corinthians 3 says, by beholding the glory of the Lord. Seeing the face of Jesus, we are changed and we come to believe, sitting at the feet of Jesus, our lover and our Savior, that we are secure in the hands of the all-wise, all-powerful, all-good, vast, wide, long, high, deep lover of my soul. And something in me, this is a supernatural thing, something in me is drawn to that and drawn away from the world. It's that, it's that Jesus that actually changes me on the inside and now with a heart that's changed and that's full. Something in me, again, it's a supernatural work, something in me persuades my heart, you're fine, you're full, you can give. You don't need to take to find. You have it all. You found it. You've been found. Give. So I come to my, labor, my neighbors giving to them instead of taking from them, and so I fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. I don't kill them, I give to them because I am full, because Jesus has filled me. Where's my gaze? Not on this, on the God of glory, the God of grace. That's what transforms me, makes me a different person who then walks in newness of life. So there's a hope provided here, which, as I draw this to a close here, we've got to just think about, remember the note off to the side, do you still live, though, as if this is the system? If you're a parent, do you parent as if this is the system? 
whole bunch of us do that. A whole bunch of us do that. Junior, here's what it is to please God. Do it. Or else. You know, maybe want to maybe not that tone, but that's how we parent. So Junior can do whatever he want? No, 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 no. You say, Junior, here's what God requires. And you don't do it. You need grace, don't you? That's what Jesus is about. And we lift up our eyes together onto him. And we pray, pray, pray for Junior and for ourselves that God will fill our minds and fill our hearts, will become all in all in all of us. And so then move us to follow his decrees. I'm going to end there, but really I'm just pausing there because if you hear that and so move us to follow his decrees, maybe what clicks in your mind is that's the Old Testament talking about the Spirit of God and the New Covenant. That's next week. It's Romans chapter 8. And so move us to follow his decrees. We can become people who live rightly, who live pleasing to God, who live doing good but it is by grace. It is by grace that he moves us to become people who follow his decrees. Look to Jesus. Bask in Jesus' love. He changes you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Shine on us, renew us, change us, and grow us, please. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.